Thanks, Daniel. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. And again, I'd like to, to welcome all of you here again this morning, especially if you're here for the very first time. I want to begin this morning with a, a question that is fascinating to me, and I think to many people. Um, one of the questions that, that Christians today often ask is this, what, what caused the early church to grow so quickly in a, in a pretty hostile environment? I mean, they faced a, a variety of persecutions. I mean, there were threats. There were threats to their lives, threats to their jobs, threats to their families. In that, in that environment, which in many ways was hostile to Christianity, we, see, we still see a church that grew, that, that multiplied, that continued to grow, and quite quickly it grew, and, and people were being drawn into Christ, and were growing deeper in Christ. And, and so one of the things we look at is, and I wonder about, is what, what caused that to happen? What caused the, the church to grow so quickly? And of course, ultimately the answer is God, because we believe that it's God who, who blesses his church. It's God who grows things. It's God who, who gives that increase. But if we look at it kind of from the means that God used, and if we look at it and we say, how did it happen? What was God doing? What was it about that church that made it so alive? And, and what I want to talk about this week and really for the next seven or eight weeks is one of the, I think, main reasons that the early church grew. As we look at it kind of from a historical perspective, as we look at it from a biblical perspective, as we look at, at that early church, one of the things we recognize is that it, it was the way that they treated each other. The way that the Christians loved each other, when historians look back on it, they, they ask themselves, what was it about this group that survived in an empire in Rome that so many others failed to thrive in, so many others failed to survive in? One of the key things is that the early church loved each other. They treated each other with care and, and service, and they gave to each other. Michael White is, a, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, he's a professor at the University of Texas in their Department of Religious Studies, and, and he was asked this question once. He said, you know, from a historical standpoint, what is it? From a historical standpoint, what is it that caused the early church to grow that quickly? And, and he says this, now what did they, that is the early Christians, offer? What did they offer? He says, it's, it's very simple. He says, what I think the Christians offered probably as well as or better than anybody else in the Roman world, was a sense of belonging. It was a sense of belonging. He says, in a world in which people were trying to find a home, the Roman Empire was huge, it was expanding, there was all these changes going on, and, and, and what the church provided was a place of belonging, a family. He goes on and he says this, to be a part of the Christian community, to be a part of the church, was to belong to a, to a society of closely knit friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. It may be something as simple as that that spelled the success of Christianity in the Roman world. It was how we loved each other. It was how the early church loved each other that was so attractive to people around them. We get some evidence of this early from uh, what's called an apology of uh, I don't know if it's Aristides or, Arist or Aristides, but, but from, we'll call him Aristides, all right? But, but from this, this is an apology. That's not an I'm sorry. It's a defense. And he actually writes a letter to Hadrian, the emperor, and he wants to say, you know, you shouldn't persecute Christians because let me tell you what we're about. Let me tell you what they are like. And he says this, they love one another. When they see the stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. For they do not call brother, those who are brothers after the flesh, those who are biologically brothers, but those who are brothers in the spirit and in God. That's who they call brothers. They love each other. They, they invite people into their homes. They care for each other. That's, that's what we do as Christians, he says to the emperor. And, and even the enemies of Christianity, 
Recognize the power of love. Recognize the power of community. We jump ahead to Emperor Julian, who was, who was emperor, the Roman emperor, uh, Roman emperor from 361 to 363, just a short time. Now, interestingly, this is after Constantine. Some of you may know history enough to know that Constantine became a Christian, and he tried to turn the Roman Empire to Christianity, and in many ways he started that process. But Julian was two emperors later, and he hated Christianity. He hated Christianity. He thought Constantine was dead wrong about that, and he wanted to turn the Roman Empire away from Christianity. He thought Christianity would ruin the Roman Empire. And and so he's talking as an enemy of Christianity, but he also respects it because he's seen how they've grown. He's seen what they've done, and he says, you know what? We've got to get better at doing what they do. Look Look at what this guy says, all right? He says, the Galileans, the Christians, also begin with their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables. And the result is that they have led very many into atheism. That is Christianity. He calls us atheists because we deny all the Romans' God. All those early Christians, they were atheists because they denied the Roman gods. They only had one, and so that was good having none. And, 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 And so he says, you know what, they do that. And then he goes on and he writes this. He says, I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of these virtues. And so here you got this secular uh, you know, Roman Empire emperor who says, we're going to beat the Christians at their own game. We're going to out-love them. We're going to out-community them. It just tells us something, though, about the power of that and about, about one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that the early church grew was because of the way they treated each other. It was because of the way they loved each other, the way they cared for each other. And, and, and one of the questions that's always in the back of my mind is, can that happen again? Can that happen again? Can we become a body? Let me see if I can get to this and stay there. All right, can that happen again? Can we become a church? Can we become a body that actually loves each other, that actually cares for each other in such a way that people in this community, people around us, look at it and say, there's something going on there. There's something strange. I don't see people treat each other that way out of places. I don't see people care for each other in other places. I don't know if we can cause the revolution that the early church caused, but I know this, we are called by God himself. We are called by God himself to do our best to become the body of Christ, to care for one another. So what we're going to do over the course of the next seven or eight weeks is, is have a sermon series where we look at the one another. Throughout Scripture in the New Testament, there are a number of one another commands. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble against one another. There are a number of these commands, and I want to look at several of them over the course of the next few weeks. And, and part of what I want us to recognize is, is that God certainly cares about my personal holiness, There are plenty of commands that call me to be holy and and to respond to God in that way. God certainly cares about reaching out and telling people about Jesus. There are certainly commands about that. But but I think one of the most passionate things on God's heart is, is that we as a church actually break down barriers, care for each other, and love one another. So we're going to take a look at the one another's. And I want to just give you a little bit of background information on this. In English, one another is two words. In Greek, it's actually only one. It's all alone. Um, you can see it there in the kind of the English transliteration, but then also in the Greek, all alone, which sounds a lot like all alone, which is how I remembered what it meant, because it's the opposite, right? It sounds like all alone, but it means one another, so it means together. So that, that's the word. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this word in the New Testament. There, it appears a hundred times. Okay, this word all alone, all alone appears a hundred times in the New Testament. Now, sometimes it's just describing situations. 
they ate with one another. Okay, that's just describing a situation. But 59 times it's used to give instructions or commands to Christians. All right, those 59 times. That's what we're going to be thinking about. Some of those are repeated, and, and, and so 37 of those are different commands. So there's 37 separate love one another, care for one another, uh, be at peace with one another. 37 different commands like that, one another's in the New Testament. And so we're going to pick up just a few of those and look at them and, and reflect on them. Let me give you just an idea of what some of these are like. I'm not going to go through all of them, but the first one we run across comes from Mark uh, chapter 9. I think, it, yeah, it's verse 50. Mark 9, verse 50. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, be at peace with one another. It's right after that time, if you know the story, some of you might, but it's right after that time where the disciples are concerned because there were other people who were talking about Jesus, and they weren't part of their group. Jesus says, relax, be at peace with one another. Don't be competitive with one another in my name, but be at peace with one another. The next one comes, it's don't grumble about one another. That's in the Gospel of John chapter 6. Don't grumble about one another. Um, Again, Jesus talking to his disciples. The next one, interestingly, John 13, says, wash the feet of one another. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, okay? He washed their feet, and then when he gets done, he says, now that I've done this for you, do this for each other. Wash one another's feet. Do that for each other. And then Jesus says, and love one another. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, it would take way too long to go through all of them this way, so I want to just kind of throw up. I got 29 of them here. Be of the same mind, accept, don't bite, devour, consume, be patient with, wash the, seek the good for, wait for, serve, confess your sins to, bear with, be devoted to. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, right? I mean, there we keep going. That's... That's just under half of them, okay? There are a lot of these things. All right, a couple questions just to have you think about. First one, and I think maybe we can get this one. You don't have to say answers out loud. Which one is repeated most often? Which one is repeated most often? It's love. Thirteen times in the New Testament. Thirteen times in the New Testament, Jesus or the disciples or other writers in the New Testament say love one another. Which one is second? This one I doubt any of us could get. I was shocked by it. It's used five times, okay? Used five times. I bet you wouldn't guess it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, I was just like, I, I, seriously, I, I knew that was in the Bible, but I've never preached on it, but I thought it was in there once. It's in there five times. Four times Paul, one times Peter, and so five times we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. I've never preached on it, and I don't plan on it, unless you really bug me about it, so then maybe I will. But no, I mean, obviously, the way we gather together, the way we greet one another is significant in the scriptures, and so just fascinating that that one is repeated five separate times. But all of this together, just really to say, That God cares deeply. God cares deeply about how we treat each other. It is a passion of God's. And and, and I want to make that clear because I think some of us are saying, well, I'm really good about holiness and I study my Bible so much. You know what? Again, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, but if you don't have love, what good are you? Are we loving other members of the body? Are we loving one another? Are we caring for each other? Are we a community that really builds that kind of love and and, and that serves each other in those ways and guards and protects each other and honors each other in those ways? God cares deeply about it, and as we've said already, and we'll say it again, and people notice. 
people noticed, they did in the early church, I think that they will still notice today. We've certainly had it here where on occasion when we've gotten it right, and, and sometimes we do. I know we as Christians often talk about where we fail, and, and that's okay, but sometimes we do get it right, and we've had people who become members here who said, I just saw your small group caring for each other. People notice it. Some of you may be familiar with a Christian author by the name of Sheldon Van Auken, and, and one of the things he writes about, he says this, the greatest... Uh, argument, the best argument for Christianity, he says, is Christians. And he says, you know, when Christians are full of joy, when they're kind, when they, when they love each other, he says, that's the greatest argument there is, the best argument for Christianity. Then he goes on to say, the greatest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When we fail to live in love, when we fail to serve each other, we are at one and the same time both the, both the best argument for Jesus Christ and the worst argument for Jesus Christ. So God cares deeply about how we treat each other and people notice. So we're going to look at these one another's and what I want to do with just a a few minutes here this morning is I want to talk about again what I think is the most important one, the center one, and that is love one another. Love one another. Again, this is I think God's central command for how we treat each other. Uh, Above all else, love each other. And we see this. I've already mentioned it's given 13 times in the New Testament, this command to love one another. And it was also interesting for me to learn this past week and a half, two weeks as I've been studying this in particular, is, is how every New Testament writer basically talks about this. Peter Peter calls, one, uh, calls us to love one another above all. If we look at 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Peter says, above all. He's talking about what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. And he says, above all, love each other deeply, for love covers a multitude of sin. Love each other deeply. That's the main call for us as a church, to love each other deeply. That's what God calls us to do. It's Peter calling us to do that above all. Paul says that love fulfills the law. All the commands, all that God wants us to do are fulfilled in love. If we love, we will do everything else right. That's why sometimes you've maybe have heard Christians say, you know, I love God and I do whatever I want. Well, if I love God correctly, if I love you correctly, I can do whatever I want because I will always be acting in love. Romans 13 verse 8, Paul says, let no debt, oh, let, hold on here, I've got to get back to this. There we are, right? Okay. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So Paul says love fulfills the law. John gives us the instruction. He not only quotes Jesus in the Gospel of John, but in his letters, in his first letter, it's only five chapters long, but in his first letter, five times, he says love one another. Here they are. First John 3. 11, love one another. 3.23, love one another. 4.7, love one another. 4.11, love one another. 4.12, love one another. All right, so John, again, it is so clear in John. And, of course, Jesus himself gives us the command as his new commandment in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. Now, it's interesting just to stop here a minute and say, well, hold on, that's a new command. What was new about it? Uh, There's certainly the command to love one another in the Old Testament. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So it's not that loving is a new command. It's how we love and the power of our love. And I'll come back to that at the end. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then Jesus again reminds us, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by if you have a bumper sticker. Not by if you listen to Christian radio, and you can have a bumper sticker and you can listen to Christian radio, but that's not what Jesus said is going to be the witness. 
the witness that the world is waiting for, the witness that our kids are waiting for, is do we love? Do we love and serve and give? And so we're going to talk about loving one another. And, and what I want to do is, again, with the moments we have left, just two questions. And I will tell you up front that the first one I want you to think about because I don't have a final answer for it, and we're never going to have a final answer for it. But I think it is a huge, important, challenging question. I don't know if it's been in the back of your mind yet uh, this morning, but I think it's a really important question. And the question is this. What does loving one another look like for us today? I mean, we can go back and do some study of the early church and, and see what it looked like and how they played it out. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us at Hillside? What does it mean for us in this century, in this day, in this age? What does it mean to love one another? And, and I want to suggest that we recognize that this is a big challenge, okay? That this is not so easy. And let me give you some of the reasons that I think are, are a challenge for us. Part of it is, is size. I mean, we're certainly not a mega church here, but we're a big church. What does it mean for this church to love each other? Seriously, think about it. What does it mean? I mean, a church of 30 people? I can imagine 30 people loving each other. I can imagine that being... But what does it mean if there are 1,200, 1,300 people? How do they love each other? What does that look like? I'm ser- does that mean we all need to be in a small group someplace? Does that mean... What, what, what does that look like? We don't even know all of each other's names. Just the size. And, and again, it's, it, it, it doesn't solve it by saying... Although some people do. Some of you may have heard of Francis Chan... Uh, written a lot of books. He was pastoring a 5,000-member church. I recently heard him, I saw him online speaking, and and he said one of the reasons that he left his 5,000-member church is he said, we couldn't have any community. He said, we have 5,000 people drive in. I'd speak to them, and then they'd go out, and it was not church. (laughs) Now, I'm not ready to leave yet. I still need a paycheck, so I don't want to do that. But, but, but what does that mean? The challenge is, is significant, right? What does it mean? How do we, what does it look like for a church in our age, in our, just size, just distance? We have people who drive in from Rockford and Ada and Jenison and up from Wayland and so on. I mean, we don't live next to each other. And our level of competence, I think, sometimes makes it difficult. And, and, and the situation of, you know, in, in, in the early church, um, you know, there weren't hotels. There were, like, so when somebody needed a place to stay, you welcomed in your home. Well, we don't do that. What does it look like? What do we do? I, I, I think this is a huge challenge, a huge important question. So I want you to talk about it at, and then tell me what you come up with. Talk about it at your lunch table. Talk about it with your small group, with your family, whatever it is. But say, what, what does it mean? It's more than just being polite. It's more than just being friendly and shaking somebody's hand on a Sunday morning. To be a church that loves each other, to be a church that supports each other and serves each other and gives to each other, that does all of that. It's, it's more than just saying, well, we're nice to each other on Sunday morning for that, uh, you know, five minutes before and after the service when we actually have to deal with each other. Being polite for ten minutes a week is not loving each other. But what is? <laughs> I think that is one of the big challenges. Again, think of the power of cars. Light. I like cars. I've got a brother or two who sell cars. But you know how much they've changed the dynamics of churches? Allowing us to live far away, allowing us to... We don't walk places. We drive and I want to get home as soon as I can. Because I have my car and I get to go wherever I want. Okay, so what does it mean to love each other now? You know, this is one of the reasons Amish people do what they do. They don't hate technology. 
uh, at least the Amish people that I've talked with about this, it's not that they hate technology. They don't hate cars. But what they ask with every new innovation is, how does it impact community? And, 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 and electric light bulbs mean that I can sit alone as late as I want at night reading my own little book alone. And the Amish people said, we don't want you reading your own little book alone around. We want you hanging out with everybody else till the lights go out and then you go to sleep. And they said, it's bad for community. It doesn't help us love God and love each other. So we're going we're to be careful about the lights that we use. On the one hand, you can say it sounds nuts, but what do we do to love each other? How do we, is, and I was thinking about it, you know, I mean, okay, we, 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 we're putting a lot of money into new nurseries and classrooms, and I think that the most important part of that is loving on parents, loving on kids. But if that's just so that we can have more people, we're not building the kingdom got to help us love God and love each other. It's got to create spaces. I mean, we've tried to be really deliberate about saying, when this is all done, we're going to have spaces where we can just spend some time together and listen to each other and care for each other. And and so what what does it look like? It's a big challenge. I I don't have any final answers. I I really just want you to to think about that and and reflect. I I mean, we say it all the time when the church, the main command is to love one another, but I, I don't know what that looks like all the time. I don't know what that looks like all the time. And, and I think it's helpful for us to reflect on that. One of the ways to do that, and, and uh, this is why I wanted to do love today and recognize that the, the other one another's show us what it means to love one another. In some ways, they unpack love one another. I would suggest that, that love is the umbrella and every other one another is part of that love. And so that's why I think we can do this fairly quickly this morning is because I think we can unpack it over the course of the next weeks. I mean, if we love somebody, we're going to serve them. We're going to wash their feet. We're going to be humble toward them. We are going to honor them. If we love somebody, we're going to recognize that they're created in God's image and we're going to listen to what they have to say to us. We're going to pray. If we're going to talk about that next week, about praying for one another. James calls us to do that. If we love somebody, we're going to pray for them. Can we become a church that genuinely prays for each other? We're going to accept one another. We are going to accept one another in spite of differences, in spite of the strangeness, in spite of the oddness that each one of you brings here. We are going to accept one another and and, and think about what that means. But that's part of love. In some ways, that's the first step of love accepting one another. We're going to build up one another. If we love one another, I'm going to seek what's best for you. I'm going to seek to help you grow more in Christ. If I love you, I'm not going to hurt you, all right? So don't hurt one another. So in a sense, as you think about what does it mean for us to love each other as a church, and whether that means it gets into our, just our small groups or into our neighborhoods or whatever, I, I want to think about that more with you. But maybe this is a good place to start, to recognize that that as we go through the other one another's, they unpack what it means. The second question, so that's the first question I want you to be thinking about. What does love look like for us today? What does it look like for Hillside to be a church where we are genuinely loving one another? Second question is this, how do we grow in that love? How do we grow in love for one another? And, and, and I think we need to just recognize it's not natural. It's not natural. By nature, because of my sinful nature, what the Bible says is my first thought is always about myself, and that's the way it is, if I'm honest. In my old nature, in my sinful nature, the first question I always ask in every situation is, how does this impact me? 
And I sometimes get embarrassed by that, but it's my first gut reaction because I am, by nature, sinful nature. I'm selfish, and I'm worried about myself, and I care about you some. But in Christ, I start to care about you more and not worry about myself. It's not natural, but in Christ, it becomes the natural. It becomes the new me. It becomes the new person that I start to love more and, and, and do that. But it, it is so difficult. It is so difficult because when we love other people, it costs us. When we love other people, it, it, does, it, it hurts us. It, it, it costs us time, sometimes money, and sometimes some deep pain. It's not natural. To love. So how do we grow in love for one another? And I, I am convinced of just one answer to this that I want us to, to recognize. And, and I'm convinced this is the only thing that changes us. And that is that we need to be deeply rooted in and changed by God's amazing love for us. The only way that I can start to love you more is if I am set free by the love of Jesus Christ. And, and let me tell you, I think, how that works. What happens is if, if I am in charge of my own life, Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, some of you are familiar with it. If I am my own, it says, what is your only comfort in life? And it says, I'm not my own. Let's change that and say, if I am my own, if I belong to me, then I've got to take care of myself. If I belong to me, then I've got to worry about all the resources. If I belong to me, then I'm always worried that I don't have enough. But if it's true... What the Bible teaches that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If I know that Jesus is going to hold on to me, if I know that Jesus is going to take care of all my needs, if I know that Jesus is going to give me identity, if I know that Jesus is going to give me security, if I know that Jesus is going to do that for me, guess what? Then I'm free. Then I'm free from having to take care of myself. Then I'm free from having to prove anything to any of you. Then I'm free just to say, God, you're going to take care of me so I can love others. You're going to take care of me so I can give stuff away. You're going to take care of me so I don't need to prove to anybody that I'm really important. You're going to take care of me so I can go wash that person's feet, even if everybody thinks it's a stupid job. It doesn't matter because I don't get my ego from you. I get it from Jesus Christ because I belong to him, body, soul, life, and in death. He is my faithful Savior. And when I understand that, when I understand God's amazing love for me and God's security for me and God's provision for me, then I can start to love you. Again, let's go back to John 13, 34. I said we'd come back to it. A new command I give you, love one another. And the newness is not that we are called to love, but when Jesus says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that little word as is a translation of a Greek word that can mean one of two things, okay? And in this case, I think it means both, all right? As I have loved you. On the one hand, and this is the way I've always thought about it, um, it, it, it's in the same way, right? And that's what the word can mean. As I have loved you, Jesus says, in the same way that I loved you, I washed your feet, so wash one another's feet. I gave my life for you. That's how you love others. You give your life for others. You care for others. You lay down your life for your friends. That's part of what it means, that Greek word there, as, as I have loved you. But it can also mean because, or out of, all right? Out of my love for you. Out of my love for you. Now you must love one another. And what's new about this command is not that we're called to love. We've been called to love all along. What's new is that we now have the power to do it through Jesus Christ. What's new is that we now have the power to do it, not out of our own strength, not of our own ability, 
but out of the strength of Jesus Christ. As we learn to let go of our lives, as we learn to die to ourselves, as we learn to say, God, I give up on me, we discover the joy and the love of God. And out of that amazing love, by being deeply rooted in, changed by God's amazing love for us, we can start to love each other. When we are aware of God's love for us, we are able to love others. And I don't know of anything else that has helped me grow in love. Trying harder hasn't. Working at it a lot hasn't. But what has is recognizing that I am loved and cared for, accepted and forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit lives in me. In a sense, the game is over. I won. So I don't have to worry about winning. And I can love and serve and care because I don't need to worry about myself. Not because I'm worthless, because I'm worth so much in God's eyes. He'll take care of me and I can love others. And, and so as we close, I just want us to remember that Jesus loves us. Friends, when we surrender to him, we experience that. He died for us. He rose from the dead for us. He changes us. He holds us. And one day he'll take us home. When I know that love, then we can love one another. Let's pray together. Father, this is so big it, and, and so much to try to figure out what it means to love one another. I mean, it sounds simple, and, and we sing songs about what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and, and it's just, you know, that's, that's it. We just got to love each other. Father, we need you to change our hearts. We need you to renew our spirits. We need you to, to, to so hold us in your hands that we dare to then give away our time and our lives and our love. And so, Father, teach us to love. We got a long ways to go, but we got time. And so teach us today to love maybe our spouse, maybe our child, maybe a neighbor a little bit more. And Father, we pray that we at Hillside can be a body that loves one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a song of response. Again, that was the opening sola of God sending us out by his grace. Let's stand and sing together.